The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, June 17th, 2016 from Slate. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesk. It's a musical day on The Gist. We feature a new single which dropped today. Here it is. When all you feel is lonely, this world is such a lonely place. You look everywhere around you. Trying to find a friendly face I know how it feels to feel like you're all alone Out in the cold, I was lost, I was looking for home We all are looking for home We are all looking for home. Not a bad song, Diane Warren. And it's for a cause, a cause that you can in no way discern from the lyrics this song is fighting the Yulin Dog Meat Festival. It's officially the Yulin Lychee and Dog Meat Festival, but the lychee part usually gets dropped by the protesters. Hard to mobilize people around the idea of saving the lychees. Now, I was ready to castigate the anti-dog eating activists as Western-centric. I was wading into the mores of another country dictating terms. What about the Rohingya? You could always do that thing, right? They, they, they put their emotional responses before facts of how ancient cultures have lived for centuries. Then I found out that the Yulin Dog Meat Festival started in 2009. And experts, bona fide Chinese-born and living researchers, point out that the animals are slaughtered pretty haphazardly, quite cruelly, really dangerously. There's a real chance that disease will spread. So I am now saying that there is no way I am giving any stars to the Yulin Dog Eating Festival on Yelp. There is, of course, no Diane Warren song about the four alligators euthanized a good death for these gators in the service of finding that poor two-year-old who was dragged into the lake at Disney. They couldn't x-ray the gators. They couldn't test the gators' feces. I guess it's just because gators are extremely unsympathetic animals. In fact, if there were a lychee and gator meat festival, the Save the Lychee sentiment would, in fact, get more sympathy than the gators. Now, let's go to India, where there are some very rare lions, Asiatic lions. There's about 400 of them, and a couple have attacked people as people have encroached on the lion's territory as, as the summer heats up and workers lay outside. The lions, though, were not slaughtered. They were, I am not kidding, put on trial, and the guilty will be assigned to zoos, where, should an American toddler ever encounter one, they'll be shot probably by a Minnesota dentist just to complete the circle of life and internet condemnation over animals, parents, and hashtags. So in the show today, like I said, it is a musical day. Led Zeppelin is on trial. I am not sure what the plaintiff's point is, other than the fact that if you play the transcript backwards, Pharrell no longer has to pay the estate of Marvin Gaye any money, and Robin Thicke becomes charming. But first, comedian, memoirist, and yes, Stairway to Heaven cover artist, Dave Hill. (laughs) 
So I always knew that I was a statistical outlier, but I didn't really realize it until I read this sentence in the introduction of Dave Hill's new book. I realize, however, statistically speaking, odds are decent that you haven't gotten around to reading my first book yet. Wrong, wrong. We read Tasteful Nudes and we interviewed Dave Hill on the show about the time he went on a nude cruise and his opinions of Porky Pig in it, which is when you wear a top but no bottom. Now Dave Hill is back with Dave Hill Doesn't Live Here Anymore by Dave Hill, author of Tasteful Nudes. I already told you much of this information, but hi, Dave Hill. Hi. So was it just write what you know and this is what I know, or have you long wanted to write about your relationship with your dad and your family? No, it just, well, it just kind of came about because the last book sort of ended. I wrote about my mother dying and then the new book I was writing, and I, re- I sort of realized that a lot of what was going on in my life is just sort of navigating this new relationship with my dad. And we've always, you know, had a, you know, a great relationship and everything. It's never been on the rocks or whatever, you know, or strange or anything. But, you know, I think people can relate to, you know, I would call for years that you'd call home and you talk to your mom and you're like, oh, dad says hi, he's down in the basement. And you can go months, even years without actually talking you know or realizing like, there's no basement right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and he doesn't even live there yeah. like no but but yeah and it, the person you thought was dad was mr <laughs> whipple from the commercials <laughs> please don't squeeze the charm so yeah it was just kind of you know after my mom died it was re- real i'm like oh wow he's doesn't ever call like he's I've only talked to him when I've when my mom's called and she's handed the phone to him when he's trying to get something out of the silverware drawer or whatever and you know or or he answers when I call home and like he would call like oh like you know credit card companies called the house because they were you know still listed as the address for longer than I care to admit just because I you know I was a rambling man yeah a drifter yeah. so that was really the almonds the only... were writing about you but yeah I didn't hear a lot I heard a lot of the songs about buses but not about the living you listen home closely yeah. yeah it's mostly about a guy from Cleveland <laughs> keeping a lot of stuff at his parents and not having any fixed address like oh a visa called or whatever or like when are you gonna get your crap out of the garage you know but after my mom died he would have to call just to say hello You know, and, and we, I mean, like I said, he's, he's the, uh, the best dad and uh, and uh, the best guy and, you know, role model for me and anyone who, anyone who meets him. You know, you have, you're, you have a, let's say, you're not a comedian per se, but you have a comic voice or... No, a, I'm a, I am a comedian you're professionally. Com- okay. I tour the world. You tour the world. <laughs> you're funny guy. Not to shut you down on that, but yeah, I am a stand-up <laughs> okay. comedian. So you're a comedian. I, w- I, w- I was going to describe you as having a comic voice because I know you through the books and uh, WFMU mostly. But do you think that having a really normal, nurturing upbringing hurts you in the world of either comedy or memoirist? Because it does seem to me that I don't know what percentage of people really are well-adjusted or are good upbringings. Maybe it's high and they just aren't the ones who talk about it. 
Are you saying I'm I'm not, I'm confused? Are you saying you think I'm well adjusted? I think that you had a really <laughs> nurturing upbringing. I think you had two caring parents without a lot of with quirks, funny peccadillos, but without pathologies. And when I hear people talk about their upbringings from the world of comedy, from you know Sedaris in memoirs or Augustine Burroughs, whatever his real name is in memoirs, it's a lot <laughs> more extreme stuff than what you've had to deal with. And I wonder how you think well, that affects you. Yeah, well, definitely more more. Extreme than August and Burroughs, but I don't know if it's that different from, you know, David's. I think his family sounds pretty normal. You know, with my own upbringing is, is just sort of, and you know, sort of over the span of the two books is trying, you know, because it is a pretty normal upbringing. I was expected to, you know, if you're from Cleveland, it's kind of like you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, or work in sales, you mm-hmm. know, and if you're going to do... Well, if you're from that section of Cleveland, otherwise it could be, you know, work in the iron mill. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, earliest in life, I was, you know, visual artist, like painting and drawing, and I thought I would do that, and then started playing in bands, and and then, but I was just always like, no, I'm never going to go work at whatever that building is that everyone's walking into at the briefcase or whatever. And so, but it was kind of straddling, figuring like, how can I do something that I like doing, but still make my parents not be embarrassed to talk about me to their friends. And I don't think I've succeeded in that, you know, because I just kind of like, I was just home in Cleveland this past weekend and my dad was, I had a friend over and he was just like, yeah, we kind of think that Dave was sort of God's joke on us because like to be like, let's throw this weirdo at it. Not that he calls, I don't think of myself as a weirdo, I don't think he thinks of me as a weird, that weirdo, but uh, but just you know, total uh, nothing like any of them really, yeah. except for my dad though. You know, pretty conventional life, but he's is the one. He he was a visual artist and musician and all that stuff. Yeah. So we found the YouTube clip, and there's your dad sitting at the piano, picking out "Stairway to Heaven" from sheet music, and you're sitting next to him with an electric guitar. It's really quite nice. Yeah, we did it together, so it was pretty cool. So the last big thing to get to, you had a dealing with the man you were called in to write for. Oh, yeah. Mr. Trump. Donald Trump. To write for him and the media that you were tapped to write for Trump was what? Ringtones. Ringtones. It was, it was the dawn of a new era of ringtones and when was everyone the dawn were of like. Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah, there was. I guess you can still do now, but yeah, like the thing was like, yeah, well, everyone will have a ring, you'll have like a, a humorous ringtone. So the apprentice was, had, was just, you know, taking the nation by storm. And, uh, so they were getting all these celebrities to be like, Hey, pick up your phone or whatever. And so I got asked through, I can't remember, I honestly can't remember what phone, it was one of the phone companies. Mm-hmm. AT&T, Verizon, or something, right. I don't know. Maybe, and then another... Nokia, if it was an Yeah, export. Nokia, yeah, yeah. MCI. <laughs> but, uh, and then another company was involved that I had been doing some freelance writing for, and so, like, do you want to, you know, write some ringtones for Donald Trump? 
<laughs> and I wrote a bunch, and I couldn't say you're fired. And this is a revelation. Which was nuts. I never knew this, but you're fired is owned by NBC. You said, yeah. So. If anyone thinks that Donald Trump is this great businessman who created this brand, he doesn't even own his own catchphrase. Yeah, I got news for you. Like, yeah. what, what, what kind of day was he having where he let that happen? He signed off, you're fired, yeah. Yeah, people think that he's going to lead our country. He can't even get the rights to his catchphrase. It's unbelievable. Can I swear on this? Please. Fuck that guy. Yeah. He's got but, a lot of good stuff. Uh, I mean, and not just, not just for the year oh, fired things, thing, yeah. but, uh, you know, everything across yeah, the board. Yeah. Well, well, well. Look who's getting another phone call. Who do you think you are, Donald Trump or something? Your phone is terminated. I have no time for small talk, and neither do you. Time is money. And But I had never heard of The Apprentice. I don't think it was out yet. Yeah. So... I was asking him, like, I thought it was a joke that he had his own TV show. And it it was, really, if you think about it, a joke. But uh, anyway, so, so that, I don't know, a year or two later, I end up writing these ringtones. And they sent me two of his books, Art of the Deal and Art of Some Other Bullshit. And they sent me a Donald Trump doll, which is still now in my bathroom. And... Uh, and it says all these things, you know, it gives you a stern talking to, as you would expect. <laughs> and uh, and then, uh, so that's what they gave me to work with. And I just wrote a bunch of, I think I wrote like 60 of these things. And uh, it's, I couldn't say you're fired. And then, so they're like, well, we want you to come to, to Donald Trump's office to, when we do this. And I was like, okay. And uh, it looks exactly as you would expect. I think yeah. I said it's as, as if a blind decorator were given an unlimited budget and told he'd never work in this town again. But it was exactly, it's just, it's crazy gold. It's like, make me look like a rich man as a business. That's what it looks like. And uh, you go in there. And then we go in this room and this big conference room and everyone's kind of nervous because they're like, he only has an hour. And then Trump walks in. To listen in. to your 60 ringtones of him yeah. saying a sentence. But he oh comes God. in, and I, as much, you know, as as much dis- disdain as I already had for the guy, I, on that day, I was kind of like, I kind of was like, oh, he's, he totally understands what he's doing. Like, he's playing a character, and he's kind of like, in the ti- tiniest of ways, was kind of winking to everyone, like, I, I get it, I'm being a prick. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I do. And, uh, but everyone's just terrified and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, you know, the checks in the mail for the ringtones. I'm just there for the wrap sandwiches that they've gotten for this event. So, uh, gold foil. Yeah. (laughs) And then at one point he's like, who wrote these things? And everyone's like, you know, like, fuck Dave, he's getting us all in trouble now. And so like that guy, (laughs) Dave Hill. And, and he goes like. He's a, you're a very good writer. He said, it's really good. <laughs> and I would, no one, I didn't expect it. No one expected it. What were some of them that he liked? They were just like, answer your phone. There's a, that could be a big business opportunity. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it was all pretty lame, to be honest. But I, you know, I was just doing what, what I was asked to do. This is Donald Trump. What are you waiting for? Pick up your phone. Find out what they want and get back to work. And then he would, then, but for the rest of the time we were there, he would only talk to me. And it was like pretty awesome because, like, because everyone, when it happened, I could tell everyone was like, 
this is not our problem. Dave's about to get reamed by Donald Trump. We're not saving him. And then it totally flipped to where like he was so nice to me. And uh, I left being like, yeah, that Donald Trump's a cool guy. I like that guy. <laughs> and, uh, he's, and if it had ended on that day and he just continued with The Apprentice, I probably would have been like, yeah, me and Donald Trump, we're cool. It's not, <laughs> I got no beef with that guy. But now, you know, and I still, as I as talk about in the essay, like there's, and, you know, certainly other people have said this, is that you get the sense that he's, you hope that he's playing a character and this is like some elaborate performance art and I still kind of think I mean it is it's really the performance is just feeding his narcissism yeah that's all that's really happening but well in terms of him but the reality is he's mobilizing um a nation of idiots (laughs) to be like wait like but as you know I think it's important as you pointed out this is a guy who could not get the rights to your fired what (laughs) Could he? What he? What could he possibly get? Is he going to negotiate with Tr- China if he's Trump and he doesn't own you're fired? Yeah, the How's thing that, that he is saying. Go? Yes. Hey, I said you're fired. Can I have that? No. Okay. I guess so. We tried. And by the we way, tried. have you ever heard a Donald Trump ringtone in the wild? Have you ever heard your work? No. 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 I lived it. Yeah. I don't need to hear it. No. They're probably. I imagine. I've t- I googled it once to see where they are. They're out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. I know it. This is Donald Trump. I've got people to answer my calls for me, but I think you're going to have to answer this call yourself. If you got that gig today, there'd be so much more material, you know? You're oh, getting a yeah. call from someone, and the Mexicans are going to pay for it. <laughs> it I'll might t- be Crooked Hillary. <laughs> well, we commend you to just one of the many, many parts of Dave Hill's massive media empire. It's his new memoir, Dave Hill Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. A Dave Hill ringtone. Someday. Someday. <laughs> <laughs> And now the spiel, to be a rock, but not to roll. In a Los Angeles courtroom this week, it's not the trial of the century, but it was the battle of the Evermore, as KABC Channel 7 reports. Led Zeppelin classic, Stairway to Heaven, now under a musical microscope. Yeah, a little high, get a little high, bring it down. Uh, With music, wouldn't that be more of a stethoscope? Anyway, the estate of Randy Wolf, who you may know better as Randy California of the band Spirit, but more likely you may not know at all, is suing Robert Plant and Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin for stealing that Stairway to Heaven. You know Stairway to Heaven. The problem for Page and Plant is that What you just heard was not Stairway to Heaven. That was a song by Spirit called Taurus. Ooh, it makes me wonder if the lawyer for Spirit's side just might have a case. But there are complications. Chief among them is the fact that the suit isn't over the songs as played. In fact, in court, jurors can't even hear the songs. The argument is over sheet music. That's what's copyright protected. Pre-1972 recordings aren't. 
Another problem for the spirit side is that even though there are a lot of similarities between Taurus and Stairway, there are a lot of similarities between Stairway and lots and lots of other songs. I mean, it's a 13-minute song. It's going to evoke something and not just a yearning for May Queens. And really, try to get a hedgerow these days without a bustle. Good luck with that. Anyway, here's a bit of Johann Sebastian Bach with a, let's call it a proto-Stairway riff. In fact, in a BBC interview, Jimmy Page copped to the Bach influence. I wanted to try to put something together which started with uh, a, quite a fragile, exposed acoustic guitar playing in sort of style of uh, a poor man's bourree by Bach, that sort of aspect. Now, of course, when it comes to Page, many times he's lied and many times he's listened to the music of Spirit. Zeppelin opened for Spirit on their first U.S. tour. Zeppelin incorporated a Spirit song into their set list and recorded, though didn't release that song. In fact, people have been confused by the lyrics of Stairway for years, but I see in these lyrics a clear nod to the Spirit-centric origins of the song. Listen. There's a feeling I get when I look to the West, the West, California, Randy, California, and my spirit is crying for reason. Hello, it's all there. Or maybe the lyrics are just Scottish folklore codswaddle. In a tree by a brook, there's a songbird who sings. Huh, what are we going to have the songbird do? It's our song. It's our composition. It's just springing from our imagination. We can have this songbird do anything. Something amazing. Something surprising. I know. In a tree by a brook, there's a songbird who sings. How'd you think of that, Stairway? I kid, Stairway. But it's a great song. If we're sick of it, it's not because it's not a great song. It's because we've heard it too often. How can you tell? How can you tell if you're sick of a song because you're sick of a song or if it's because the song is inherently sickening? I, luckily enough, I have a dad test. So for years, I wondered, do I not like it because it's bad or I've heard it too much? Now that I have little kids, I say to myself, what are the songs I want to expose them to? Like, Bad to the Bone. I do not want to play them Bad to the Bone. They're fine without hearing Bad to the Bone. I can't put Bad to the Bone on and say, guys, you got to listen to Bad to the Bone. And all the questions, the inevitable questions this will raise, dad... Are they the Delaware destroyers in that they're from Delaware and they destroy or they're intent on destroying Delaware? Little of both, Emmett. Little of both. Anyway, I was eager to play Stairway to Heaven for the kids. It is great on repeat listening. And today, I've just been binging on videos of Stairway to Heaven. No matter how hard I try, I find myself in the same old jam of Led Zeppelin playing it live and also covers like Heart backed by a gospel chorus a few years ago at the Kennedy Center when they honored Led Zeppelin. And I guess I, like Page and Plant, have gotten a little defensive about this suit. It seems like the plaintiff's attorney is is a wild card and he's taking it too far. And indeed, the judge has shut down lines of disallowed evidence and inane questioning as if with a word he could get what he came for. 
Yes, the spirit lawyer seems to be a bumbler, but there is a bona fide history of Led Zeppelin appropriation. Dazed and confused, settlement 2012, terms undisclosed. Babe, I'm going to leave you, settlement in the 80s, credit was given to author Anne Breddon. How many times more, settlement in 1993, royalties and credit given to Howlin' Wolf. You Need Love, credit and royalties given to Willie Dixon. Killing Floor, credit given to Howlin' Wolf and royalties. Bring It On Home, credit given to Willie Dixon, royalties too. So there's a lot of this going on. Now, it doesn't mean that Zeppelin is on the hook in this case. An appropriation, well, that can seem like theft, but it can also seem like borrowing or being influenced by because, you know, sometimes words have two meanings. And the most important thing is that even if this trial results in some money going to the estate of the spirit vocalist and songwriter who died in 1997 while rescuing his son from drowning, it shouldn't diminish Stairway. Certainly won't diminish the giant pile of money that Page and Plant have acquired because of Stairway. Stairway is a lot more than a riff. It is a lot more than a double-necked guitar. It's a lot more than the last song in every middle school dance from 1974 to 1991. I come back to the idea of the musical microscope. And indeed, they are under the microscope, as bad a metaphor as that may be. But it does seem to me that the problem with a microscope is that you often see the tiny thing in detail, but it's hard to stand back and appreciate the whole. And that's it for today's show. In the days of Efim Shapiro's youth, he was told what it means to be a man. Now, before producing the gist, Mary Wilson once worked in a restaurant. Same night, Costner and Federline walk in, didn't even know these guys knew each other, but she finds herself serving a sorbet to Kevin. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate Podcast. Couldn't be here in person. He's stuck in D.C. Will you try braving the beltway at seven? Andy Bowers is chief content officer of Panoply, though he did almost go broke trying to sell matzah in Oslo. Perhaps you've heard of his business, Norway Unleavened. The gist, looking forward to game seven. I got to tell you, the Warriors offense, they are just inspired. I mean, the very decision to pair Clay with Stefan. Oom peru de peru And thanks for listening.